You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Once you have your Bible, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to John 4. John 4, 1 through 15 is where we're going to devote our attention over uh, the course of this message this morning as we just get to continue in this series, uh, Come and Believe. And Now, didn't Pastor Eric and, uh, and then Matt last week, the church planner, didn't they do a great job of uh, bringing out John 3 for y'all? Yeah, you were well fed. Sorry, I missed it, but I got to uh, tune in and, uh, uh, and, and listen in. And today we get into John 4. And as we do, let me just ask uh, this question or to lay this, this uh, heart-penetrating question before you this morning. Is all of this worth it? You're like, man, we just got up. I've just, like, my coffee hasn't even set in. And you're asking the questions at this level. You know, I think this is a question maybe that's on our mind more uh, so than we are able to articulate it or not. But uh, as we just go through the motions in this life, we get up, we prep for the day, we go to work, school, or meet whatever responsibilities are, are ours, and then we come home and we do it all again. Maybe we sleep in the middle of it somewhere there. Maybe not if you have young kids at home and you're just like, I'm just going through the motions. We do it again, and then again, and then again. Then maybe in God's providence, something happens to us that uh, shakes everything up and causes us to question, is the life that we're going through, is it worth all the effort? A job suddenly loses its, uh, uh, its significance. The relationship has lost its spice. The season ends and what once exhilarated us now elicits maybe just a meh. As it comes to our faith... I think we also ask this question in our hearts, is following Jesus worth it? Is this life that he invites us into really worth all the effort? Saying no to sin, treating our enemies with kindness, laying down our preferences, giving to him our time, talent, and treasure, showing up early on a Sunday to church and staying late on a weekday night for a small group is all of it worth it sometimes the things in us and the things are uh, around us challenge us in that way is he worth it is the life that he offers a satisfying life and i think it's at this heart level that jesus gets to in his encounter with a woman at a well in this region of samaria particularly at this town called sychar Now, you may be familiar with this chapter, this passage. I hope that you are, but whether you are or are not familiar with it, I hope today that it hits us afresh. And so join me in your Bibles here with that question kind of resonating. Let's uh, read the first 15 verses of John chapter 4. Follow along in your copy, and let's wrestle with this question ourselves. Here's the text. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees has heard that Jesus was... Let me start it over. <laughs> now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, 
he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to, it, said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. A woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now this is God's word for God's people. Familiar passage maybe to you, but maybe not. And here's the thing to know in a passage like this in the scriptures and oftentimes in life not unique to the scriptures but in this story and in the scriptures this the water is synonymous with life as it is in other places think of like psalm 42 uh, 1 and 2 as a deer pants for flowing streams so uh, pants my soul for you O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god see without water we won't survive not for very long anyways. We, uh, we need water in order to live, and therefore water is synonymous with life. It is part of who we are, our very uh, uh, genetic, or not genetic, but our biological makeup, and it is a part of what we need to consume in order to live, and we depend upon it. Now, on, what's, what's crazy is uh, almost two years ago, we had that uh, dreaded time in, in Texas uh, history of Snowmageddon. Even to say that, some could chuckle and some shudder <laughs> at thoughts of that, right? And when we had a week unlike maybe any other time in Texas history, and during that week, we were, many of us were without water. For various reasons and all that, we uh, uh, struggled to just have what we took for granted in our life and coming out of our faucets, uh, uh, water that was necessary for survival. And it confronted us again with the necessity of water for our survival. Now, we sometimes, that, that was a very stark illustration, but even in my own home lately, for uh, whatever reason, my water lines on my fridge keep freezing up on the, on the back, and so I enjoy the modern convenience of just taking my glass whenever I am thirsty and putting it there, much like you do, and in, in, in recent days, as I've done that, it's empty. 
to go to the faucet or to now it's working again, but it has been a, a reminder of the necessity and our dependence upon water. See, we depend on water more than we often realize with the, in the age that we live and the conveniences that we have. And here's the thing also, church, that we depend on Christ more than we realize. We depend on him, even with the modern conveniences that we have with the internet and podcasts and online and the accessibility of God's word and the accessibility of God more than uh, in prayer. We depend on him more than we realize and we seek satisfaction more than we realize. Oftentimes, because of the convenience and familiarity with Jesus, we seek uh, satisfaction in uh, temporary uh, pleasures. But hopefully you can see the point from the passage here and what we're talking about now, what Jesus is teaching in the passage to the woman and to us then this morning is that only the life Jesus offers truly satisfies. Write that down in your notes. It's the center point of this text. It's what uh, all other truth and the details of the narrative revolve around this uh, singular point for us this morning that only the life, only the water, the living water that Jesus offers truly satisfies satisfies us. Now, the placing of John 4 in this story here uh, uh, is intentional by uh, God's Spirit. In John chapter 3, you had uh, the uh, meeting with Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, and and it shows him that he, he would go to show that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And using an illustration of being born again, that is so familiar to us. And in the same way, Jesus is approaching now this Samaritan woman and shows her that he too is the only way to salvation. See, Jesus came to save the religious elite, Nicodemus, and also this social outcast, a Samaritan woman. Whether the self-righteous or the self-destructive or wherever you find yourself in between, guess what? Jesus is your only way to salvation. The life that Jesus offers is the only place you will find satisfaction. Whether you are bent on saving yourself through your outward morality, or you are chasing the passing pleasures of sin through your outward immorality, only the life that Jesus offers will truly bring you the peace and contentment that we were created for. Jesus knows this. It's why he came. It's why he's on mission. It is why he is moving his way throughout all of Israel, uh, encountering these uh, people along the way to show us that his life is the one that only truly satisfies. And not just in a generic sense did he come, but he came specifically to specific people here towards those that he would save. Now, if that's the center point, look at the setting of this scene in verses 1 to 6. Write this down in your notes. For We learn this, that Jesus goes directly towards towards the thirsty. As the details are laid before us here, we see Jesus on a mission, Jesus intentionally moving, going directly towards this woman who was thirsty. And there's some uh, uh, details here about uh, Jesus moving on from Judea, that area around Jerusalem, and heading north through uh, to Galilee. Look at the verses here in just a a little bit, the verses that I was stumbling over and reading here. But the, uh, the, the point of it all is that there is some ruckus being caused, and we've seen this along the way in John, between John the 
Baptist and, and Jesus and about this uh, idea of baptizing. And now they're comparing like who's doing it more and all that stuff. And, and Jesus doesn't want to be a distraction. So he moves on. He heads north uh, away from where John the Baptist is doing ministry down there in Judea. And it says that he had to, verse 4, is really the key to our understanding of this section here, that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you have a a study Bible, you likely have some maps in the back. But if you don't, look at here at this map that's on there of uh, Israel in the days of Jesus. Okay, now you can kind of see there down the bottom that region was known as Judea. You see Jerusalem there, kind of tucked in the middle. Maybe you can read it. Maybe some of you in the back are like, "My my ojos ain't that good," but. it's there. And the common routes to head north, see Jesus was heading up to Galilee, that northern region up there by the Sea of Galilee, where he would do much of his ministry. And the common route that the Jewish people would take would actually be to kind of head east, cross over the Jordan River uh, into that green area and uh, up through the purple area, kind of work their way north that way, and then cut back west into the region of Galilee there, and to avoid the region of Samaria altogether. But Jesus instead chose to take a direct route through the hills through this region there on the map that's kind of bluish there and you can even see Sychar right there uh, there in the middle near uh, Samaria which is the region but also a city in that time and he takes a, a direct route but note this it's not just for convenience in John, uh, in bringing this out, he had to go to Samaria it was not just like uh, for convenience sake but to show that he had a divine appointment He had somebody there that he was going to meet with, the most unlikely of all people. And what John is showing us in this passage is that Jesus is here uh, on mission. And it is not to start some military revolution amongst the Jewish elite like many expected in that day. To the Jewish leader saying, this, well, why would he go through there? Why would he choose to reveal himself and to talk to this woman? He was going because he intentionally had to stop in this city or this village called Sychar. Now, something to know is that Sychar is one of those places, those neighborhoods that you intentionally avoid. I don't know where you've come from, or maybe there's places as you've driven around like Austin or San Antonio, or maybe there's places like this in New Braunfels where it's like, you know what, we just kind of avoid that because it's maybe a shady place, a life might be in danger, whatever it is, uh, Samaria was just one of those regions, and this area was a place that they would avoid. Back in December, I was up in, uh, in the state of Michigan, I was preaching at a funeral for one of my friend's uh, sons who passed away, and uh, as we were, uh, I flew in and out of Detroit, and as I uh, was heading back to Detroit, with uh, my friends were giving me a ride, and uh, as we were heading to the airport, there was some construction on the interstate, and uh, we got rerouted, and guess what part of town we got rerouted through on the, uh, uh, on the way to the airport? A part of town that nobody likes to be in. I mean, I didn't have any idea, but my friend was like, uh, what, where is this taking us? Oh, man, look, we're not stopping at any of the red lights. If we come to it, we're just going to continue to drive through. It's an area of town where even his older sister had been abducted uh, years before. It was one of those kind of places. And, and, and we got rerouted here. But here's the point I'm trying to make. In Jesus' case, he's not rerouted this way by a GPS map. He is intentionally going to this place that many Jewish people would avoid void altogether and he goes intentionally to this well to Jacob's well that was a significant place for both the Jews and the Samaritans throughout history to meet with this woman 
Now look at what it says. He comes to Samaria, comes to Sychar, and he goes to Jacob's well. Now maybe you're asking, like, what, what is this? Is, we have a Jacob's well nearby here, don't we? What is Jacob's well? Well, if you go back in this week and continue your own study and go deeper in this, you'll find in Genesis 33, Jacob is returning to the promised land after uh, many, many years in the land of Haran where he uh, found his wife and he comes now back to the promised land and he buys this land in Shechem near Sychar where we find ourselves there. And later, many years later, after Jacob has all the sons and he's blessing his uh, sons there in Genesis 48, he gives this land where he had dug a well to his son Joseph. Then you even fast forward several hundred years after God's people uh, then are settling back into uh, the promised land. Uh, Joseph would be, his bones would be buried there by Joshua in Joshua 24. You can even go and visit it today. It's a deep well. There's a stream that flows uh, deep under the ground uh, where the water is continually moving. And if you visit Israel, you can go to this likely spot. Now, why all the context? Why all the history here? Why is because you need to hear the setting and what is happening in this passage to really make sense of it here and to even grasp here in, in, in this text that Jesus has to stop here because he's meeting with a woman, but is also we get a glimpse of his humanity. Like look at verse 6, Jacob's well was there, Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey. John is going overboard in this text to show us the uh, deity of Jesus, that he is fully God, but he is also fully human. He is a man who is weary. He is traveling, and he comes to this well at the sixth hour, which in the Jewish reckoning of time is noon. It's the hottest part of the day. The sun is, uh, is high in the sky, and so they stop, but they stop not just for the rest, but for also this divine appointment. Jesus knows what, uh, that another person will soon be showing up. And over and over and over again in this gospel, John is bringing out the intentionality of Jesus to the mission. He knows where he is going. He knows what he is doing. And he knows why he is doing it. And all these details are significant as Jesus is coming to turn these things on its head. He is coming to make the first move and taking the initiative. And he has something to offer this woman that he will begin speaking to in just a moment. He comes offering a life unlike any other He is going directly towards the thirsty. He comes and he has the same offer that he offers to this woman that he will offer to me and to you. And here's the thing, y'all. It's not an accident that we're here today. It's not an accident that you are here drinking of these gospel waters and maybe your life is a mess or maybe you're pretty good and things are going well and you've got everything nice and tight and buttoned up and appearing good on the outside. But see, we come, and Jesus comes to meet those who are thirsty to satisfy and to quench the desires of our heart, answering the question of, is it worth it? But see, note this also as the text moves on, as the story, as the action rises here. Jesus here, he doesn't avoid the contaminated. Point number two in these next verses here, Jesus doesn't avoid those that are seemingly off-limits. Those that we would avoid. See, the disciples, we learn in the parentheses in verse 8 that they had gone to get some lunch. It's the middle of the day, obviously. They're going to get some lunch, and they leave Jesus to himself at the well, or so they thought they were leaving him by himself, because most people would go to the well in the cooler parts of the day. 
As they would come to gather their water for the day's needs, for their own drinking and cooking, and other they would go either in the early morning or later in the evening when it was cooler here. Um, and the only reason really somebody would come at this part of the day was whether they were traveling or because they were trying to avoid everyone else. And so you can imagine now, even this woman, how surprised she is to find somebody there at this hour of the day. And how even more surprised she was that this is a man here who's talking to her, and even more shocked when he asks her for a drink. Because in that day, this situation that we're here, we're like looking in on one of those incredibly awkward and uncomfortable situations. You know, the situation maybe when you're at a restaurant and you can hear like a conversation happening or it's just really awkward and it's in like a public place, you're like... Oh, I'd like, do I need to leave and give you some space? I don't know that I should be listening. This is just one of those socially awkward settings, especially so in this day. Here's a man alone with a woman who is not his wife. Not good. But even more so, it's a Jewish man alone with a Samaritan woman. Even more not good. But to make matters worse, it's a Jewish man talking to an immoral Samaritan woman, which is even more, even more not good. But but then to take it further, it's a Jewish man drinking from a cup after an immoral Samaritan woman. And that's like three times even more not good. And this is a really awkward situation. The Jewish people reading this, what in the world is going on? To the Pharisee, to those that would follow the law, Jesus is about to be extra unclean. But would he? Maybe even as you read this, you're wondering, like, well, what? With the Samaritan woman's like, how do you ask for a drink? Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Like, maybe you're asking yourself, why the hostility? Why, why, why is this so? Maybe it just doesn't make any sense in your mind. Like, a man asking a woman alone, all this stuff here. Well, there's a cultural context here, a dynamic that exists here that really goes back several hundred years back to uh, back into biblical history. Now, even before I explain all that, let me just point out something here. This is just another example for us that hatred and racism is nothing unique to our day. It's nothing, it's, it's nothing you study the Bible, learn world history, travel the world, and you will find that it exists everywhere. Some for silly reasons and, and all for sinful reasons. We're, you know, we're sinful people who think too highly of ourselves. We can find any reason to hate and to look down on somebody else for the way that they look or the way that they dress or the things that they eat or for decisions that they made hundreds of years ago. Uh, you know, their ancestors made hundreds of years ago and had nothing to do. And, and, and it can lead to all kinds of hatred and racism and sinful uh, uh, perspectives on other people. Jesus, help us, right? He does. He does help us in, in this year. See, the dynamic, like I was saying, goes back several hundred years to when Israel was a divided kingdom. Now, if, you, uh, if you're reading through your Bible in a year and you just started soon, you will get to those uh, historical books like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, where all of this is laid out for us. And it's fascinating history. But you have a united kingdom where God establishes a kingdom over Israel. And you have Saul, David, and anyone know? Solomon, right? Our, uh, uh, united Israel, the 12 tribes under these kings. But after Solomon, who was uh, one of the wisest men to ever live and made some incredibly foolish decisions, after him, it's, it becomes a divided kingdom. 
under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And the nation of Israel divides. The northern kingdom is known as Israel with ten tribes, and the southern kingdom is known as Judah with the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And they kind of uh, uh, you know, have a, a history that intertwines, and they're at war and friends at different times with some good kings and some bad kings. But uh, several hundred years go by, and Israel, uh, by God's grace, that northern kingdom, and as a result of God's judgment, is taken captive by the nation of Assyria. And in so doing there, the the people of Assyria would uh, take some Jewish people out and backload it in with some Assyrians. And what happened was, was the Jewish people that were left married some of these Assyrians. And so now you have this mixed heritage and also a mixed religion. It would take the God of the Bible with the Assyrian religion, and now you kind of have this intermixing happening on, and thus those they were looked down upon, hated there, the uh, there in Samaria where, and so Samaria was where the the northern kingdom of Israel was housed, and where their their capital city there in Samaria was, and so now they hated them for it, even though this was like 750 years later. And it really went both ways, and yet for all this hatred. And for all the contamination, we'll learn about more about her life in the uh, passage next week. Jesus doesn't ignore her, let alone run from her, but goes directly towards her and offers her something. He breaks with all convention. He breaks with all the social sensibilities of the day. And guess what he does? He engages her with kindness. He approaches her and asks her these questions with kindness in the same way that he engages us with kindness uh, as a means to lead us to repentance. In Romans 2 uh, verse 4, it says, Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? And Jesus was going towards her with this kindness, aware, yes, of her life, knowing more about her than she even knows about herself. And he approaches her with this kindness in the same way that he did with you and I. Whether he approached us and saved us in the midst of decades of making a mess of our life or he saved us as kids, God approached us in kindness. He is not like us, in danger of being contaminated by our sin or made unclean by our immorality. No, Christ comes near us and makes us clean, clothes us in his righteousness, offering us a life and a satisfaction that we can't manufacture on your own. She knows that she's been avoiding people, and maybe you two have been avoiding people, desiring to live according to your own ways and don't want anyone to tell you otherwise or just going about in isolation because of the shame of the choices that you have made. But now you find yourself here. For whatever reason that God has brought you before us and in through these doors with Jesus here being before you, unafraid of your sin, calling you out of it and into something better. Maybe awakening a thirst in you that you never knew existed. See, that's what Jesus' response is. The story continues on and reaches this high point here. Not only is Jesus unafraid of the, the contamination, but here's the thing. See, Jesus creates in her a thirst for himself. He creates this thirst in her for himself. And maybe you're reading verse 10 and you're like, well, his answer doesn't make sense at first glance, right? 
She's confused. Maybe you're confused, which is the kind of classic Jesus style. In chapter 3, Nicodemus doesn't uh, uh, fully understand when Jesus is offering him this new birth and saying, you have to be born again. And he's like, it doesn't make sense. I can't crawl back in my mother's womb. How can I be born again? And now Jesus taking this teachable moment. He's creating in her a longing that didn't exist before this. And not only is he creating the longing, but he is showing her that he himself is the satisfaction that will quench the longing. Look what he says in verse 10. She's like, why are you asking me for a drink? And he's like, if you knew uh, who uh, the gift of God and who it is that was saying to give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In verse 11, she's, 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 she's still confused. She's thinking practically. She's like, I don't understand. Like, I have the bucket, not you. You can't draw out of the well. I, 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 I'm here and, you know what, uh, after a moment, it seems like, well, maybe things are starting to click. Are you better than uh, 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 our father Jacob? How can you? And she starts to click. Now, a few Sundays ago, and similar fashion and similar lesson, I got the opportunity to teach our our elementary kids and redemption kids over there. Super fun. Many of you do serve our redemption kids. Thank you for doing that. If not, uh, let me tell you, it's it's just really fun. And I I got to do it a few weeks ago when Pastor Eric was preaching. And and, uh, the lesson that they were doing that day was from 2 Corinthians 5 on being a new creation. The old is gone. We're new uh, creatures in Christ. And it's this love that controls us. And so I I took one of the illustrations that was suggested in the curriculum and kind of adapted it a little bit. And I took all the elementary kids and and I I had them get up out of their table and go uh, just kind of walk around the room uh, with their eyes closed. Remember when we were doing this, Leo? Leo was uh, tag teaming it with me there. And, uh, and I had them just kind of uh, walk around in the thing with their eyes closed. And I was like, uh, and I was just asking them some questions like, well, what do you see? And, you know, like, well, nothing. Duh. You know, and I was like, well, what do you want to do next? And uh, we, you know, some were like, well, we want to sit down, we want to open our eyes, we want to go outside and, and, and play. And, and I was like, well, what are you thinking about? You know, when elementary kids are walking around doing this. And when you ask uh, that age, like 10 year olds, what they're thinking about, you get all kinds of answers, right? And then I asked, I was like, do you know what, I is, what is, my backpack is full of? I'm like, no, we don't know what it is. And I told him, I have a backpack full of Rice Krispie treats. Backpack full of them. They're like, what? I said, now if you follow me back to your seats quietly, I will give you one. And if you can recite your memory verse, I will give you a, another one. So we're like, that sounds like bribery. And maybe so. I was trying to make a spiritual point here and so they did and then I asked them did I force you to come back and sit down with me to follow me quietly and recite the verse did I force you to do that no and I said well why then did you follow me because we wanted the treat we wanted what you were offering and then I asked well why didn't I why didn't you ask me for the treat first when you were blind what do you think they say we didn't know you had it in the same way in this text here jesus is creating the thirst in the woman she's confused at first but then spirit initiated regeneration she can see the thirst has been created in her for this living water for the life that jesus is offering for us it's the same way that he creates a thirst in you and in me for himself where we were once ignorant of his existence 
one's ignorant of the life and, that he offers and the satisfaction of following him until he offers it. And as he offers it, the choice is ours. Will we follow him or continue groping about in the darkness, living life according to our own ways? Praise God that the life he offers is much more fulfilling and much more substantial than a silly Rice Krispie treat, right? For the life that he offers is the saved life, saving us from our sins, freed from the penalty that our sin uh, justly uh, required. Our offenses against God, and he offers the saved life, calling us to himself. If we would just repent of that and, and, and then believe that Christ is the only way, he saves us. But he also brings us into the sanctified life. A life free now from the power of sin, a life of growth and maturity, a life of doing uh, uh, things differently, of living not for ourselves, but now living for the glory of God and the good of others. He gives us a purpose. And in that sanctified, saved life, he gives us a satisfied life, full of joy, full of pleasures, not in just the happy, blissful, free from problems kind of life, but a satisfied life that only Jesus can offer in this way as he creates this thirst for us and quenches it in himself, offering this woman and you and me and all who would come to Christ this kind of life, which is really how he concludes. He concludes in the the final verses here that he alone satisfies our deepest longings. Write that down in your notes. Jesus alone satisfies our deepest longings. Everything else is temporary. That's what he's, he's saying in verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This has been true of God all throughout his interactions with humanity. Offering this kind of life. Jesus' words even echo back to Jeremiah 35, 20, or 31, 25. To those exiled people. To those the Israelites in captivity in that time. Prophetic words to them where he says this. Jeremiah 31, 25. For I will satisfy the weary soul. And every languishing soul I will replenish. Maybe that's where you find yourself at today. In need. Languishing Weary with an invitation from the Lord to come and to drink and be satisfied. Listen to this quote from commentary, Christ-centered exposition, that the picture that he paints here for us. So he says this, every man and woman is in a desperate life and death situation. Spiritually, we're like travelers lost in the desert of sin and death. We need help. Our only hope for life is water. We try over and over again and again to find water. We turn to this person, that activity, this good work, or in that religious system, hoping to find the solution. Sometimes it seems like we've found it. For a while, it seems we've stumbled on water to quench our thirst and meet our need. But before long, we realize that what we thought was the solution was not. So we start looking again. We search desperately for something, anything that will dull the thirst, even if it's only for a moment. Yet all we can find apart from Christ is salt water. It seems to help, but we end up more parched than we were before. C.S. Lewis called this an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. It's from the screw tape letters. Have you ever felt that? Everyone who's looked at pornography has. Each look at the screen produces more cravings and less pleasure. 
Everyone who has been addicted to a substance has. It takes more to get high and the high gets shorter. Everyone who has been in a codependent relationship has. As the relationships gets worse, the feeling of needing the other person gets stronger. Everyone who's proud has. We need more and more applause, even as it matters less and less. Everyone who's self-righteous has. We write more and more rules and find less and less joy. See, the root of sin is pursuing happiness in something other than God, and sin produces an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. End quote. I think if we're honest, we find ourselves in the same place like the Samaritan woman. We find ourselves, whether in one of those categories or anything else, looking for a satisfaction that only Christ can provide. In similar fashion in Jeremiah 2, 13, early on, he warns of the same sin, the folly of rejecting God for something temporary. He says this, For my people have committed these two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. But see, Christ and Christ alone, as he's saying here, he himself is that living water. He himself and the life that he offers is the only thing that will satisfy our deepest longings, that continue to get us out of bed when we're asking the questions, is this worth it? This is the beauty of what Jesus is offering to the woman and what he's offering to us today. We thirst, he satisfies If you come to me, if you follow me, if you take up the life that I offer, then your cravings will be satisfied. Your thirst will be quenched. And not only this once, but for the rest of your existence, they will well up to eternal life. What else, church, who else can make an offer like this and then actually deliver? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Give me some of that water, right? Give me Jesus, which is where she replies, Sir, give me this water. Redemption, if you're asking the question, is it worth it? Always. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it seems difficult to obtain, taking up the life that he is offering is always worth it. Drink deeply upon Christ and find satisfaction for your soul.